Okay, with the men, the uh, first one is the little boy, mama's boy. If I don't try it, I can't be accused of doing it wrong. So this is, uh, okay, so we're starting on the left-hand side of the continuum that you saw up there just a, a moment ago uh, on the screen. Uh, so the little boy wants others to come through for him, uh, for he is desperate. So he needs others uh, to do it for him. And he would be considered your classic drifter. Uh, and it's usually because there's so many bad things have happened to him, so he, rather than making those decisions for himself, uh, wants uh, you or someone else to make the uh, decisions for him. So he would be your classic passive male wimp. Some of these terms are so nice and endearing. Because of his cowardliness, Okay, he is, he is a coward. Really, all of us are. Like when Sharon talked about the females, it's the same for the males, that we are cowards in that sense. Uh, we fear stepping up to the plate and leading. I mean, what if someone uh, points, points at us? So it's just acted out in different ways. Because of his cowardliness, he hides behind powerlessness. Okay, so I'm powerless. I can't do anything about it and relational impotence. So I'm not able to relate well. His character defects are going to be obvious, but he's too weak of a man to face those defects. So he is going to then respond with, life is on your shoulders, <clears throat> because he is not able to handle it. Uh, he may, t may not hold down a stable job and then communicates to his wife that she needs to have a full-time job so the family won't starve to death. So he'll communicate that in some way uh, to his wife. So he uh, will often let his wife, his children, or his friends have their own way. So he won't interfere with them. Uh, he'll let them have their own way, and he'll hide behind uh, silence, uh, the newspaper, humor, scripture quoting, blame shifting, etc. And he really is communicating that marriage is too much work. See, when you think about it, uh, if he's relationally impotent, he is not going to uh, know or want the, the work of making a marriage work. So uh, he's going to communicate that this is all too much for him. And he can often communicate that without saying a word. <clears throat> so he is going to really be uh, self-protected, protective. And that comes right back to the whole issue of uh, the, he's, his fear of failing the test of leadership. 
uh, that's, you know, if I step up to the plate, uh, what's going to happen? That's what he's afraid of, because he's afraid of making those mistakes of stepping up to the plate. So he will be uh, categorized as sensitive, uh, artistic, often a feminized male, uh, generally has one hobby, <clears throat> and this hobby um, will be the type of hobby that only involves him, uh, so that he doesn't uh, have to engage with somebody else. So he will tend to be a loner in that so sense. So generally one hobby, uh, like theology, hunting, which is interesting, but if you keep in mind he's, he's alone in that, uh, then it fits. Uh, stamp collecting. So any, any hobby that just rules out other relationships uh, does not require anyone else's participation. That's what he is. So keep everybody at a distance that way. And uh, in its most extreme uh, form, this is a borderline personality condition. Uh, lastly, the mama's boy will avoid conflict and will often just walk away from conflict without saying a word. So uh, they're entering into conflict, uh, they'll just get up and depart. And uh, with, as with, uh, Sharon mentioned, with the girls on the passive side, will be given to uh, periods of depression and phobia. phobia. So again, when she pointed out that uh, interned anger, never dealing with en any, anything that uh, moves over into depression, this one, this category will head in that direction as well. So that's the mama's boy. The next one, question? because they're afraid of engaging in their world, like leading, because somebody is then going to criticize them. So by totally withdrawing from the world and expecting you to make all the decisions, they escape uh, responsibility, because you have made a decision then, and uh, then if something goes wrong, it's not their fault, it's your fault. And so they will, they're backing out of their world in that sense. The goal is Correct. Yeah, and for, the, for us as males, it's a whole uh, area of leadership. So, because if you lead, you are instantly exposed because you're in front. People see you then. So, uh, the mama's boy is going to withdraw. Like every one of us males on the continuum is going to try and avoid leadership in that sense. So, I will only lead to the point where I am competent, really. Uh, you know, to step out. Yeah. Oh, okay. It is, uh, I'm sorry, I missed that part of the question. I think it can be that, but I think it also could be a very dominant father where he feels like he could never do anything right. When you just always feel so. It could be several things if you have. Oh. <laughs> it, it could be either someone who's been pampered all their life and never can feel that they can do anything, they've always had all the decisions made for them, and they like that, or a very dominating parent figures where. They, they feel 
afraid to step up and if you're always criticized, you might feel like you never want to step up to the plate because who likes being criticized? So that's why, you know, you it can, would be, uh, it's, to me, it's the train, like some of the training, but it can be both from either parent that you're, uh, you know, um, my mother made uh, lots of decisions for me. Uh, you know, to me, it was just fine. Uh, she would often do all my phone calling, you know, as a teenager. I was fine with it. But it, it developed a weakness in me then, which I wasn't willing to get on the phone. Uh, but there's fathers that do it too. Uh, you know, essentially my father abdicated in some of those leadership areas as well. So, uh, you know, it'll just depend on the upbringing uh, and then do your choices too, because it's my choice too, right? I mean, we can't lay all the responsibility off on our parents. Uh, you know, yes, they train us a certain way and then we have decisions to make. And so we bear, you know, the, the key here again is just the responsibility. Uh, like if we pass off uh, this all on our parents, we have to remember that we have made decisions too or, and are making decisions. So the question is, let's keep taking it back there. What are the decisions that I'm making today that I can change and uh, so that I engage my world better? I wonder, uh, Dwight, I, to me it would be, you know, the passage in uh, uh, Deuteronomy, I think, in Exodus that talk about a bent, uh, that a bent is, uh, is carried on by, uh, you know, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons. I mean, there's a bent there, and that bent is what is carried on. Uh, we don't pay for the sins of our fathers or mothers, but... Uh, Exodus talks about a bent being carried on. I'm not so sure. It probably is there to some extent, Dwight, but I think we also learn lots of that too. So uh, it's probably somewhat of a combination between the two. Yeah. Well, but even observing, and you know, your cause and effect. But I'm talking about a baby in a crib. I'm not talking. Well, but even well, as, but see, but those things are affirmed, though. Okay, so you can act it out, and then depending on what your response is, can continue to develop that, too. Uh huh. Oh, sure. You're absolutely right. They do have that. Well, but in that sense, that's the sin nature coming out, right? I mean, uh, that's uh, because of the fall. So there's that aspect too. So it's, it's a little bit more complicated, but I do, uh, to me, there's lots you learn in the home, but there's character traits that are sort of carried from one generation to the next as well. Yeah. Okay, any other questions on Mama's Boy? Okay, let's uh, move to the next one, uh, the nice boy. <clears throat> How can you hate him? Um, just in reading some material on, on the nice boy or some material on uh, this uh, part of the continuum, I, I'm very thankful for the designation of nice boy. 
rather than good boy, and I'll explain as we move through here that there is a distinct difference between the two descriptions that will help us uh, in uh, understanding this, uh, this boy. Uh, his powerlessness will not be as obvious as the little boy. So you won't see with, uh, with uh, mama's boy, the little boy, you're going to immediately see or you are able to see his powerlessness. It comes through. Uh, with the nice boy, his powerlessness will not be as obvious. So you won't see it right away. In fact, the nice boy's powerlessness Will be, an will be attractive or so socially acceptable. And really, this is the uh, person that most church men fall into. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit more. So they will be attractive or socially acceptable. They'll know how to live in a church culture. But this male he too requires others to take hold of him, to take hold for him. But he will be smoother at getting others or putting others into the position so that they feel uh, it is purely their own choice to help him out. <clears throat> yeah, he's very manipulative. So he will be very adept at putting the decision into your ball court and letting you make uh, the decision. So uh, in other words, uh, the, he, will be, he will be a smooth talker, ability to use words. He's a faithful follower. He's a yes man. Uh, so he's a faithful follower, avoids making decisions. or as I pointed out, does so so that you make the choice for him. And again, as we pointed out before, if you make the choice for him, then if it fails, they're not responsible. Then you are uh, the responsible one. Okay, the next... Uh, the nice boy is bland, stable, and dull. He is surrounded by niceness. <clears throat> so he is so nice that you feel you must overlook the lifelessness that is in his being. So he, this person is passionless. He is Mr. Nice. Very supportive, doesn't yell, doesn't get angry. How could you ever be dissatisfied with this type of male? Even though he, <clears throat> even though he listens to you about your dissatisfaction, nothing penetrates him beyond the surface. He is a very shallow person, passionless, but consumed with being liked and being needed. Consumed with being liked and being needed. So this person refuses to look on the inside. Uh, he is concentrating on polishing the exterior. So he is good at doing things right. Being good, uh, nice in that sense. I'll try and stay away from the word good. So <clears throat> they are the ones that uh, tend to be your legalists. 
your Pharisees, uh, and that's why they look good in church, and they're hard to, to nail down. Because they'll argue, see, I'm doing it right, so what can you say against me? And they'll, you know, they'll argue about, I've done everything right, and what more do you want from me? Questions? We're doing fine. He has a sixth sense for avoiding conflict. So he can smell it a mile away and obviously be somewhere else when it arrives. So he is, uh, he is so nice and sensitive, how could you be upset with him? And the sensitivity will tend to throw you off. And how could you ever want more than he is already giving? If you tell him you did not feel much passion or much of a soul in him, he'll respond by being very concerned. So he'll express his concern. So he wants very much to change, to be of help to you, but he really has no sense of conviction that there is actually any problem with him. Okay, the problem is elsewhere, not with him, because he is Mr. Nice, and he has got it all together. So if you live with a male uh, like this, it will be hassle-free, but it also will be passion-free. No passion. If there is any depth at all, it will, it will be because he blames himself for certain things using self-contempt. So here on the self-contempt side, or on the passive side, again, just like with the ladies, we had the uh, self-contempt uh, rather than other-centered contempt. So uh, on the aggressive side, we move to other-centered contempt, but here he will take it inward because it's not right for him to be angry with you. So you, you, if you are Mr. Right or Mr. Nice, you can't be angry with someone else, so then you turn that anger inward. So this form of self-awareness never brings about change. It rather obligates you or the wife to hope for change. Uh, so again, you are the one who must move, uh, not him, and he is able to, uh, to move you towards that direction. So anything that doesn't require change of him. So no, you know, he doesn't see the necessity for change, and he's not going to allow himself to be cornered in that one. The real problem in his mind is that he just does not know enough to really change. Okay? So here, <clears throat> if he did know, then of course he would change instantly. And here's his statement. If I just knew what it meant to love you, I know I don't love you, but I want to. But here the, the initial phrase, or uh, clause, if I just knew what it meant to love you. See, he is then, by stating that, he has placed it on the spouse, not himself. So he has directed it to you rather than to himself. If I just knew what it meant to love you, I know I don't love you, but I want to. 
See, uh, I would uh, do what you need is his statement, but he's not willing to admit that the problem is within, not without. So he is going to argue that his powerlessness is because of a lack of information. You know, a, a lack of information from you, <clears throat> not from him. So, again, he has turned everything outward and uh, placed it on you. Correct. Right. Yeah, he won't explore it. He won't go there. Probably one of the uh, more difficult categories to deal with is this one, uh, because if, if they are doing everything right on the exterior, how can you ever question them? And they aren't willing to look inside and to see their motivation. Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, in dealing with uh, some uh, young men once about this, uh, that was the challenge. To me, it was interesting how many of them were hiding behind this guise. Uh, that uh, I'm doing everything right, what more do you want from me? Uh, and so when I finally started asking them, okay, but why are you doing all this stuff? Like, why are you doing everything right? And uh, to me, it, uh, that one stumped them, but I just kept trying different questions, trying to get back into there to get them to see what they were doing so that they would take a look at it. It was interesting when they, when uh, with one of them, when I finally broke through, uh, how <clears throat> how he responded to me. Uh, you know, he said, "Okay, I finally get the picture." Now he was far more dramatic than that uh, uh, when it, when he made the statement. Um, but to me, it's interesting how much work it takes to get through this facade, because it's you have to look at the motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And see if I'm doing everything right. Then how can you be angry at me? Or if I'm doing everything right, I don't have to look at anything. But if we remember that we're all on this continuum, that we're all, each of us has to figure out where do we sort of sp spend most of our time on this continuum. We'll pull off the little boy, the, uh, the uh, nice boy, and then the other ones as well. But where do we sort of camp? What, what have we found the most effective? And then we look at ourselves. Uh, what is our motivation for doing it? Well, it's to protect ourselves. So he will live in a blame-free category of living. And uh, he will not uh, be the one at fault. So what kind of uh, woman uh, will he marry? What, Bob? A take charge kind of woman, that's right. <clears throat> no, he won't go for the little girl, that's for sure. Well, I mean, it may happen, but uh, it definitely would be a very uh, complicated <laughs> relationship. <laughs> yeah, he will uh, marry the take charge. Yeah. You could have two like that married and, and think of what kind of quadrant you develop. Just help. The 
See, when you start looking at your styles of relating and you bring two together, a woman and a man with their typical, oh, <laughs> We did this in class the other day, and I just think it's fascinating. When you look at your styles of relating, and then you look at the guy that you marry and his style of relating, then you understand what quadrant you, you develop. It's very easy to see. Then you go, oh, this is why we have the quadrant that we have. So if you come out of a background where this is your typical style of relating, and you marry someone who comes out of a quadrant from his typical style of relating, and you bring those together, you've got your quadrant. It's very simple to see and why you end up with the homes that you do. So comforting, right? <laughs> well, but there's stuff you can do about it, which What's is great. I would say more the religious home. Yeah, because everything's about being good and pleasing people, so absolutely. Yeah. Not real deep. That's right. So you can have a combination there. Absolutely. Okay, there's within the, uh, uh, the uh, nice boy uh, category, uh, there's, uh, Sharon has developed two uh, other categories within this continuum. And uh, so let's go to, uh, this one here. The nice boy can be seen as a used car salesman. He's a fast talker, controls conversation, manipulates through persuasive speech. Now he's not, uh, uh, sometimes we see the, uh, use car salesman as aggressive uh, and we want to keep in mind here no it's more the fact that he is uh, smooth uh, slick with his words uh, like he uses words to uh, keep the responsibility out there um, I don't even know which book it was this winter but uh, there's a, a word I ran across and I boy, it, it was so different that I had to pull a dictionary out I could not make my way through the word but it's the word unctuous, and uh, unctuous, and uh, quite the word, but uh, it means to be oily, slick, suave, uh, etc. And that's this fella here. So the uh, used car salesman. Uh, the other one is a stand-up comic. No, go back one. Yeah, the nice boy can be seen as a stand-up comic. I missed this one, Monty, sorry. Things, uh, keep things light and airy, fear of exposure. So uh, he will use uh, humor. Um, uh, to me, it's always interesting uh, when we go through this section in the class, uh, the guys that come and talk, okay, I see myself. And, uh, and then they want to talk this through. How, how can I start moving away from it? But just the ability to use words and humor. Uh, yeah, in conflict when, uh, when they're in trouble, how they can walk their way out of it. So the, uh, the stand-up comedian, uh, the used car salesman are trying to avoid conflict and they'll do that. And some, of the, uh, some males are definitely very good at getting around this one, or getting around conflict by using these. Cody. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and they, f they tend to follow in fall into a pattern then of always using it. And it becomes very difficult for them to back off, uh, uh, back off from using this style of relating. But it's, 
of course, they, they don't, aren't exposed then when they use humor constantly because people are laughing. We have fun with this fellow. But they really put themselves into a dilemma. Okay, uh, can we move to the next one? Distant boy. Kip? Well, <clears throat> is there any, uh, have you noticed a difference between the males and the females in that way? We just like to get through it, right? <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm hinting at. I mean, uh, the... <clears throat> But notice, notice the, the uh, with, uh, like to me, we just, we see the maleness coming out in this discussion because uh, when, when we have discussions in class uh, at, at the school, um, uh, I'll ask a question of the males and uh, <clears throat> it takes a long time for an answer to return. Uh, they must be in a distant land. Uh, <clears throat> But when Sharon asks the women, uh, the girls, a question, the answer is right there. They respond right away. And uh, they have questions, but uh, it's the same thing when we have the sex talk. Uh, then uh, the girls' class, there's lots of questions, lots of engagement. And then when I have it with the males, uh, <laughs> we're pretty quiet. <laughs> so. Yeah, we are, we're going to have that discussion here as well. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> it's optional. It won't be Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've nailed us on the head there, Kit. The distant boy. Uh, the distant boy is usually very competent takes charge, uh, and will engage in relationships to a certain extent, normally has little time for them. So in a sense, he will service people. So he's a take-charge sort of male. Uh, this is, uh, tends to be the category where I find my home. So it's, a, <laughs> like Sharon pointed out, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, talk about it. Lavella? This is on the aggressive side, yeah. So we've, uh, we were talking about the passive side and uh, now we have the uh, aggressive side. So uh, yeah, keep in mind that uh, on the passive side, uh, it's a passive avoidance and on the aggressive side, it's aggressive avoidance. So. Um, you know, really they're the same thing. So they're passively avoiding, avoiding what they need to do. And then on the, on the other side of the continuum, they're aggressively avoiding what they need to do. They'll find ways that they can avoid dealing with me. I'll find ways of avoiding dealing with me and, uh, or dealing uh, with uh, things that I need to change in my life.
Uh, yeah. Uh, But on the uh, but we're avoiding either side, right? Right. So on the passive side, yeah, you can say it's nice avoidance, uh, but uh, the distant boy would say it still looks pretty good, doesn't he? So is it the same as the women that uh, we're moving from self-contempt to other contempt? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Here on this side of the continuum with the male, it's going uh, the aggressive side. It's going to be other-centered contempt because you're going to. Uh, look at uh, a good boy or uh, and just say, well, why doesn't he get it together? Like, you'll never um, look at yourself, you're, I mean, in that sense. You're looking there and saying, you know, he needs to get it together. Make a decision. Make up your mind. Let's get with it. Like, he'll just, come on, let's do it. Let's get with it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it comes from, I mean, it, it essentially comes from Genesis chapter 3, right, uh, with Adam and Eve. Uh, what's Eve trying to do and what's Adam doing? Like Eve, Eve is, uh, to me, it's now in our genetic makeup, like in that sense, because she is, she is a, uh, taking control of the situation. Uh, now, some are going to argue, was Adam really there? But to me, the preposition with is there in the, in the Genesis passage. And the man who was with her, so uh, he should have been stepping up to the plate and leading. You know, he's the one that heard it directly from God not to be involved. And yet he sat in the background. She takes control, so she is... Uh, controlling the situation in that way, and he is avoiding the situation. Uh, so yes, we can blame Adam. Yeah. But I, I wonder if we haven't, uh, as a church, now I'm talking a wide church, uh, haven't enculturated our males into the nice, uh, into the nice boy uh, category. And uh, like I'm reading a book by Paul uh, Coglin, uh, no Mr. No more Mr. Christian nice guy. And uh, he argues very, uh, that we have so feminized the church, so feminized Christ, that males don't want to come to church. Uh, because we are nice, not good. Like good would be able to say to somebody, you're, uh, you're doing this right, but you're also doing this wrong. Like we're unwilling to say to people, you know, like our school system, right? Uh, we're unwilling to fail students but we're unwilling to say you've done this wrong. But uh, he argues very, um, very hard for the fact that we have uh, feminized the church. Because even think of, 
uh, who uh, he points out that the majority of people that come to the church are women. And so he says, we've just made it into their kind of world and not into a male kind of world, like uh, is to have a really structured church for men. So he raises lots of uh, good questions. Um, I had uh, Lynn order another book for me. Uh, I don't think I'm going to pull the author's name out of my head, but it's Jesus Mean and Wild. Like, uh, <clears throat> um, so I, <laughs> well, I s <laughs> well, didn't, uh, yeah, for uh, Bill Hybels, didn't he have, for one of his services, he had a Harley hanging up in the... They did a Father's Day thing. Yeah, right. But again, how much of our culture have we allowed in? How much of our culture have we allowed into our church? You know, uh, like the political correctness. Uh, there was an article out of a university in Ontario uh, probably 10 years ago now, but he was saying that the uh, culture of political correctness would kill learning in Canada. Because, see, if you are politically correct, you can't disagree with anybody. So it'll it'll kill it'll kill learning it'll kill the education. That's right. You know it is right to treat people with uh, equality. Uh, see, but not to me uh, sameness. See, to me equality doesn't equal sameness, and I think that's where we're getting into the political debate now. <laughs> Kip. I've taught through Mark now, um, I think this is my fifth time or sixth time, somewhere in there, and I'm just fascinated on, on how Jesus comes across. Because he has no difficulty in turning to somebody and saying, this is what's wrong with you. Or, you whitewashed tomb. You know, like, and then at other times, he is filled with compassion. To a Gentile woman, he set, calls her a dog. I, I think sometimes we've got to revisit who our Lord really is. But we're scared to make judgment calls on the presumption, even though we know our 
Right, but I think as, if we grow in our understanding of who we are, our understanding of, of what, uh, who Christ is, etc., uh, there to me there comes a greater and greater confidence. What, what I, uh, often what I struggle with now is simply holding my tongue and allowing them to arrive at the solution themselves. Because if, if uh, uh, they understand the solution themselves, if they take responsibility, they will grab a hold of it and move. But if I say it, they can always deny it. So that has been more of a journey for me. I remember one person asking me, uh, just tell me what's wrong with me. I can see from your eyes that you know what it is. And I said, yeah, I know what it is. But if I tell you, you'll deny it and nothing will happen. So I said, why don't you go and explore? Like, why don't you think through your mind what it is? <clears throat> and the next day, uh, I met, it was a lady, I met her in the hall, and she just wound up and hit me. I said, and so I just said, so you know what it is? She said, yes, and I didn't like it. I said, so if I would have told you, you would have done what? She said, yeah, you're right, I would have denied it, and I would never have gone there, for, or I wouldn't have gone there for a while. But because I backed off, and that was a big learning curve for me too, was to back off and let them come to the conclusion themselves. So I guess that's what I like about this material. You're going to find yourself somewhere on this continuum. And then you're going to have to try and figure out, okay, how do I, and we'll talk about how to start moving out of it. It's not fun, uh, but it's a march towards freedom. <clears throat> if this male, the distant boy, if this male plays a game with his children, he will service them, but he will keep in mind or try and figure out just how long the game will last, because he doesn't want to be in a game that goes on and on. So he doesn't want to play a game that is endless. He'll try and come up with rules that make sure the game stays within his time limits. This is where it's ouch. <laughs> um, I abhor games, so I, <laughs> so I fit this category real well. Uh, right, Andrew? <laughs> the distant boy, again, is a good provider, uh, but he does not truly engage. So the, more, uh, the greater the level of aggressiveness on the continuum, the greater need for compensation. So he's going to compensate, make up for the, uh, the difficulty or the, the, his weaknesses. He will compensate in an area or activity in his chosen realm where he's highly qualified. So he will always compensate for his weaknesses in areas that he's really good at. So that's where he will tend to. So he will hide his cowardliness behind function and duty. Okay. Pardon? Yeah, so he'll be driven at work. That's where he's competent. So he'll have a drivenness there, or in ministry, to the detriment of relationships. Uh, Monty, why don't you put up uh, the next screen? 
So the distant boy can be seen as the super jock, uses his abilities to affirm. So he's uh, trying to cover up weaknesses. He'll get over-involved in, uh, in uh, sports, athletics. And the next one, Monty? Well, you totally nailed me on that one. <laughs> How about this one? The distant boy can be seen as the workaholic hides inadequacies behind work. Go back one, Monty. So he uses his abilities to be affirmed. So he's trying to cover his weaknesses. He'll find some areas of strengths that he can really work at and uh, he'll use them to uh, compliment or bring compliments to him in that sense. So on the other end of the spectrum, their identity is in who they are. Um, I'm nice, I'm kind, I'm submissive. These guys, it's what they do. Yes. Yeah, their function, yeah. Okay, we'll uh, pick up there, uh, finish the uh, men next Sunday, and uh, we'll pick up with the distant boy in midstream. <laughs>